0: Turn with me to Haggai chapter 2 as we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 9 today in this book, Haggai chapter 2 toward the end of the Old Testament. Small little book. We went, we did chapter 1 last week and we're going to continue going through chapter 2 for the rest of this year. And so I encourage you to read ahead. But today we are going to be looking at verses one through nine. Before we do that, let's, let's again go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we come to your word, we are continually grateful that you have given us a source of absolute truth and authority in our lives. That we need not doubt what you say. We need not doubt you. But we do anyway. We do not believe that you are faithful. We do not believe that you're going to do what you say you're going to do. And so we go out and try to find things that will. And there is nothing. There is no one who keeps their promises. Who takes care of their own like you do. So Lord, we pray that as we open Your Word, that You would remind us of that, teach us that, change our hearts, that we might more and more know that You love Your people. And we pray this in Jesus' name, Amen. So as I looked at this passage and really the entire book, it, and now being Christmas, it's it's fascinating how all this has kind of come together It just, as I've grown older, it's reminding me of how I see things, and the way that the way I see things has changed so much. And I think Christmas is a great example of something that changes as we get older. Or at least it doesn't change, but our perspective of it does. As a kid, I remember being out of school, and it seemed like being out of school for weeks. That when you got out for Christmas break, it was almost like the winter summer, and it you know it it seemed so long. (laughs) That we were out, and it was just long, and it remember wanting Christmas to be there, and it wasn't, but now it seems like just one or two days that's associated with Christmas break. Uh, I guess so our lives are so tied to the school, it seems like that as a kid, the build up for Christmas was so tense, and there was this kind of magic associated with it, right? And each successive event that we did as a family meant it was one day closer. But now all of these things just seem to come together as this massive blur and it's here today and it's gone tomorrow. And I could go on. And really I could choose just about any subject. And we can have these same kinds of thoughts, right, that we tend to look back on things with these kind of rose-colored glasses where they seem so perfect and wonderful. And And so many times we see those days, whatever those days are, as inherently better than these days, the ones that we are currently living in. The church even talks this way. We need to get back to the days when people did this and that or such and such or whatever it is. Everyone envisions a time when things were better and wonders why they aren't that way today. We have the same thing when we get into Haggai chapter two. The people of God were longing for the former days when the temple of Solomon stood as as a proud symbol of being Jewish, of the Lord's faithfulness to them. And it was this luxurious building. Israel's strength and wealth were all kind of bound up in this wonderful palace. And now it was just some worn out foundation whose stones had been weathered by time of 20 years of neglect. And how could they restore it to its former glory? Or should they even try? As we move into Haggai's second sermon to his people, we see that there's been this one ever-present constant in the lives of the people of Israel and it's God's covenant faithfulness. And it's the same today. Today, Though all the changes, through all the changes that we've experienced as individuals, as a church, as families, we worship one who does not change, does not change. And it's helpful for us to be reminded of that as we consider this text today. I want to look at two main points, looking back at God's faithfulness and then second, looking forward to Christ's coming so with that, let's look together at the text. Haggai chapter 2, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 9. Please stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's holy word. Haggai chapter 2, 1 through 9. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah and to Joshua the son of Jehoshadak the high priest and to all the remnant of the people and say who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory how do you see it now is it not as nothing in your eyes yet now be strong O Zerubbabel declares the Lord be strong O Joshua son of Jehoshadak the high priest be strong all you people of the land declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the Lord of hosts. Amen. This is God's Word. You may be seated. A little bit of context. Remember last week we talked about a lot about the historical context of Haggai. The people of Israel returned from exile in Babylon and they were to undertake the rebuilding of the city and specifically of the temple there in Jerusalem. Yet these efforts were halted because of some internal struggles that they were having, mostly, remember, with the Samaritans. We talked about that. And now it's 16 years later and Haggai is encouraging God's people to continue to rebuilding the temple. Just pick up where they left off. And really, a lot of it's just going to have to be a rebuilding of the rebuilding kind of effort. Haggai records the exact dates of these addresses for us, which is very helpful. It's very thorough in his record-keeping. For our passage today, I think this immediate context is important. During... This, in the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month is when this takes place. Well, why is that important? Well, During the seventh month, there's a series of days that are now called the Jewish High Holy Days, and you can see them. On the calendar, there are several in quick succession. It starts with the Jewish New Year, which is now called Rosh Hashanah. And it moves forward to the Day of Atonement and the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles. And you have this kind of succession of these very important events in the Jewish calendar. And it was the same thing then. In Haggai's time, it was called some different things. The first day of the seventh month, there would have been this feast and the feast was called the Feast of Trumpets, where the priests would come out with these trumpets and calling the people at this point then to focus heavenward on the coming days and the coming weeks ahead of them as they were to consider this this uh, time of successive feasts. In Leviticus 23, if you're interested, you can read that chapter, details all of these different holidays if you feel like that sort of thing. The day of atonement was the 10th day of this month, which was the time the priest would make an atonement for all the people at the temple. This, of course, symboled a reconciliation between God and His people looking forward to the coming Lamb of God who would finally take away the sins of His people. Of course, we know that to be Jesus Christ. And then there was this time called the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. And we see this in the New Testament. And this would have started on the 15th day, which Israel celebrated what they're celebrating during this feast was this time of coming out of Egypt, how broad, how God brought them out of the wilderness into the promised land. And where did the people live when they were in the wilderness? Well, they lived in these tents or tabernacles. And so during this week, the people would live in tents or booths or whatever you want to call them in order to remember God's faithfulness during the wilderness wanderings. And on the seventh day of that feast, they would close with a solemn rest, or what we know as the Sabbath. Why is all that important? When Haggai addresses the people, it is the sixth day of the week of tabernacles. People would have come from far and wide into the city or what was left of it to celebrate a time when they didn't have a home, to remember how faithful God was to them. Some of them are coming back with memories of what once was. But those people are now in their 70s, at least, to people who remember Jerusalem, how it looked before. And a time has a way of helping us to forget the bad things that happened. And they remembered only the good in a way that doesn't always give us the best picture. And the younger folks that are there, they've heard the stories of, we wish we could just get back to those good old days when this and this and such and such were going on. Some of you remember, or we we probably were even present at those events in Ezra three that we talked about last week. Remember where there was there were people who were excited and there were also people who were crying and everyone was doing both so loudly that you couldn't tell the difference between the two. Either way, in the midst of this celebration of God's covenant faithfulness to a once. Again, wilderness-wandering people, Haggai has these words for them and for us today. We do well to remember that God is faithful and the coming of Christ to the world is the ultimate sign of His faithfulness to us. While it may be easy to look back and wonder why things can't be the same, it is important for us to remember the most important things have not changed at all. And that brings us to the first point, looking back at God's faithfulness. Let's look, at, let's look again at verses one through three. The seventh month on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah. Speak to Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people and say, who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? I've never had much work or done much work with building something from the ground up like these people were going to have to do, but I know the importance of having a strong foundation to any building, particularly one that would have been as big and heavy as a stone temple. We can't even imagine. They laid this foundation 20 years prior to that, and now they were there looking at it. The weather and the elements coming in year after year on this stone. First work probably would have been a process of deciding what parts of the foundation were still even good to use, right? And picking through and salvaging and replacing the things that were there. Even what they had largely probably wasn't very good. And while it might have been fun to imagine the temple in all of its splendor, now they're looking at this dilapidated structure, which is barely more than just a foundation, surrounded by a city that's been burned out in the midst of a celebration about how God brought them through the wilderness and stayed faithful. Though they were now home, they probably felt like they were still in the middle of the desert. Nothing about home resembled home. Nothing about their worship resembled what it must have been like when Solomon's temple stood proud and strong. So you can hear the emotion coming out of Haggai's question to the group. Not only the leaders there, but everyone who was gathered there that he refers to as this remnant of people. Who is left that remembers this house in its former glory? This is speaking to the grandeur of the structure, of the actual structure, not God's former glory or His current glory being compared, of course. It was the building that had changed. The ornate walls and the fixtures were no longer there. It was just a foundation. It was nothing compared to what it was. The prophet's not trying to hide that here. Everything changes. So rather than dwelling on what once was, Haggai reminds them, of their current situation. But He takes them back in order to remind them. That brings us to verses 4 and 5. Let's look at those again. Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehoshadak the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenants, that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. This command, be strong, was not a new one. They would have immediately recognized this. This would have been an important part of their Feast of Booths as they were celebrating the coming through Egypt, the celebration of the conquest of Canaan, all the way back to Joshua when the people ended their wanderings. And here they are at the precipice of the promised land getting ready to go in and the Lord has these words for them. I think it's important for us to see them. So let's go to Joshua chapter 1 and I'm going to read these words. Because remember, the people are celebrating this time. They're all there to celebrate. And so these words would have been important. They would have had these words available to them. This would have been part of their liturgy. So I'm going to read the first nine verses there of Joshua 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise and go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon I have given to you, just as I has promised Moses. From the wilderness of this and and this Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to the law the law that Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but shall you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according all that is written in it. For then you will you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Imagine that ringing in their ears as Haggai stands before them as they're around this temple that was much of a shell as as its former life. In Joshua chapter 1, Moses was dead. Everything was different except one thing. God was with them. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid because the Lord is with you wherever you go. And oh, the places that Israel would go. They've been to Babylon and back. And here they are, back in Jerusalem. A burned out city. And there is one thing that is still the same. Be strong, King Zerubbabel. Be strong, High Priest Joshua. Be strong, people of God. Work. Go. Do the thing that I command you because I am with you. Fear not. My spirit is still with you. Though he may not be a pillar of smoke by day and a pillar of fire by night, he is still very much there with them. Just the Spirit hovered over the deep in those first days of creation. So He still hovered over His people like a hen covers her young with her wings. As we read from Psalm 63 today, nothing could separate them for the love of God that He had for them. And the question for us today is, why is this so hard? Why is it hard for us to hear these words? that we all believe to be true. We all believe them to be true that God is still with us, right? We do believe that God is with us. Don't we believe that He's never going to leave us and forsake us? Don't we believe that He still keeps us under His wings and protects us? Then why do we long for these mythical old days? The old feelings when things were quote-unquote better than they are today. What was better about them? Was God a better God then? Is that really what we're wanting? The God that we had back then, not the God that we have now? Did He love us more then than He loves us today? Did He take care of us better? God, please take care of us like You did at that one time when I felt a certain way or I did a certain thing or this circumstance was much better. And is an ornate temple more of a sign of God's faithfulness? than one that needs rebuilt. It's hard because our focus tends not to be on God, but rather on what He gives or doesn't give or what He provides or is not currently providing. It isn't to say that we shouldn't love and enjoy the blessings of God. Not at all. He gives to us because He loves us out of His absolute abundance. He showers His people with blessings. But those things are meant to point us to Him not away from Him. Every one of our anxieties and concerns about the world that we live in have to do with the fact that we believe that God owes us something that we do not currently have. He owes us something that we need that He's holding out on us. God owes us a better standard of living like the others that we see. Why do they live in this way and I live in this way? Or maybe like we once had, God, why can't You give me the things that I used to have back when things were good? God owes us a good relationship with our families and our friends because it used to be so much better than it is today. God, why aren't you the same God anymore? God even owes us our old relationship that we had with Him, right? He owes us this relationship that we had with Him when things felt so fresh and so new in our relationship with Him. If we could just go back to that God, could you go be that God again? God hasn't changed His commands are still the same hundreds of years later through the prophet Haggai that he gave to Joshua. Be strong. I am with you. Just as I've always been with you. And always will be. My spirit is in your midst. Fear not. Israel in the days of Haggai had the types and shadows to the kind of presence That was going to be, but we know it now more fully because the Son of God was made flesh and dwelt among us. We celebrate His carnation or His becoming incarnation or His becoming flesh during the Christmas season. And we see this very Christmassy passage here in the next few verses. That brings us to the second and last point, looking forward to Christ's coming. Look with me again at verses six through seven. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once again in a little while I will shake the heavens and and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all the nations so that the treasures of all the nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. We've seen over and over in prophetic literature many times as we've studied lots of prophetic literature in this Church and the prophets will often speak things that have what we call a near fulfillment, meaning that they're speaking something that might come true in the prophet's life or even in the next few generations that the people of Israel will see that it's going to occur in the hearer's lifetimes. And they oftentimes have a far fulfillment, something that the message speaks of that will find its ultimate fulfillment in a far-off time. Usually, that ultimate fulfillment is found in the promises that are tied up in our Lord Jesus. So in these last few verses, we look at that very thing. The idea that the Lord would, would come down and, and shake things up, including the very nations, and something that would have happened in their lifetimes. They would see the Greeks rise up and begin to pressure this Persian Empire that seemed so insurmountable at the time and enter into a series of wars that would last over 50 years, eventually seeing the Persian Empire shrink to nearly nothing and Alexander take over much of the known world. While this near fulfillment would happen, it ultimately had far-reaching fulfillment that matters most to all of us, and this is the coming of our Lord Jesus. The idea that God is going to shake the heavens and the earth, even the nations, is a thing to look forward to. But the people were standing there looking at the temple shell, all standing around looking, wondering what their next steps were. The idea that He was going to take that temple and fill it with glory is quite another. Takes me back to Isaiah chapter 6. And Isaiah saw the Lord seated on the throne and the whole temple was filled with His robes and the angels sang, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. These folks knew Isaiah. They didn't know him. They knew his words. They knew the story. How else could the Lord fill the temple with glory other than if He were to come Himself And to do just that. There's no other way. This messianic promise wasn't a thing that was new to the people. The awaiting of the coming Messiah, the anointed one of Israel. Every one of them waited for that day that would come. They knew that this would usher in a new time for Israel where the nations would come and bring them treasures and that Israel would rise to this great power or so they thought. But it's not the treasures of the nations that ultimately adorn the temple of the Lord nor cedar cedar panels or gold or silver or whatever else the people think that they're missing from the former days of Solomon's temple. It's the Lord Jesus who will adorn the temple of God. The temple of God now is found among the people of God. In Christ, we have gone from a time where this temple was a physical place where animals were killed pointing forward to this coming sacrifice that we one day would have to a place where the temple is in us. And the Spirit of God dwells in our midst because of this once-for-all sacrifice that has been made true by the High Priest, Jesus Christ. And that sacrifice, of course, being Himself. The latter glory of God's house is that He will live among us, in us. Leviticus 26, verse 11 says this, I will make my dwelling my tabernacle among you, and my soul shall not hate you. How can God not hate us? How is that even possible? We're sinful. We deserve His hate, His full wrath because of the sin that we bear in Adam, because of the sins that we daily commit. What does He mean that He's going to be with us and He's not going to hate us? And then we get to John chapter 1 and we read, and the Word became flesh and dwelt or tabernacled among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son who fills the very temple, the whole world with His glory. The only Son from the Father full of grace and truth. We live in a world that wants us to believe that we've got it in us to overcome the problems that we have. You can imagine them standing around you have got this, we can do this. Psychology is the fastest growing major among entering freshmen in college more and more and more because we all want to figure out why it is that we're all struggling. We want to be able to give ourselves the ability to finally live up to the you've got this that we've all heard our whole lives. But that's just it. We don't got this. We need a Savior who is with us, who will stay with us, who won't change. And that Savior is Jesus. Mark 6 features a tumultuous time, the lives of the apostles of Jesus. Jesus himself was in the middle of a tumultuous time. John the Baptist had died. Jesus was rejected in his hometown of Nazareth. He fed 5,000 people from a few loaves and fish and they were wanting more food and didn't understand His real message. And after all they'd seen and been through, the disciples were on a boat at night and they were struggling against the wind and the waves and they were wondering how they were going to get to the other side. And Jesus came to them, walking on the water, not to cheer them on. You've got this. Just paddle a little harder, not even to help them row, to be their co-pilot. He came to them and said, take heart. It is I, or literally take heart. I am. Do not be afraid. I am with you. He came to them. The latter glory of Jesus coming far surpasses the nice building with nice furniture and nice walls. Now that Jesus has come, the Spirit of God is among His people forevermore. The peace of God that passes all understanding is something that we can have in Christ our Lord. If you're an unbeliever here, you cannot. You cannot find peace and hope outside of Christ. There is no way, there is nothing for you outside of Christ but death. Like all the Christians here, you're probably searching for some sort of former glory as well, right? We all do. It's only a vapor and it's gone. Trust the one who's not. Trust Jesus. Repent and believe in the one who came and dwelt among his people, gave his life as a ransom for them. Call upon the name of Jesus today and be saved. For the believers here, Christ has come and he has brought with him peace for all eternity. Former glories of this life are only a shadow of what we have in Christ for all time. Trust not in the glories of this earth, which come and go, but trust in Jesus who always, who is always with us, will never leave us and will never forsake us. Trust him for peace and offer that peace to a lost world. Let's go to him in prayer. Our Lord Jesus, as we read these words and we hear them and we understand them, there is still part of us that is longing for something that once was. But you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. You have not changed. You are still with us. You plan to be with us for all eternity. You will never leave us or forsake us. Lord, help us to rest, to stop seeking after another Savior and trust the one that we have. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.